The uh, title today, and this is part of our, our, our I Am series, is that I am the gate. And that's the passage you're going to be reading. Let's pick it up in John 10, verse 1. Now, I'll, I'll come back and I'll make note of this, but when you pick up John 10, verse 1, it's a continuation of what was happening at the end of chapter 9. Sometimes we make the division between chapters and all that, and we think, oh, this is a totally unconnected thing. But it, it, we'll, we'll go back and actually look at that a little bit. But this is just a continuation of the things he was saying at the end of chapter 9 there, uh, right into chapter 10, verse 1. He says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, leads them out, and he leads them out. When he has brought them out all on his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what He was telling them. Now, I think it's important to understand, as we understand what Jesus is saying here, He tells a parable or a story, and this should be sort of the end. But they clearly didn't get what He was trying to say. And so in verse 7, He goes on and sort of explains or you know, lays it out more definitively what he's trying to say. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved, or if you look at your footnote there, will be safe. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Verse 10 has always been one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or as the old King James Version says, that they may have life abundantly. I like that about what, uh, what Jesus is saying there. I have come, the reason I'm coming, the reason I'm doing all this, is for their sake, so that their life can be an abundant life. And you know what? That ought to be how I feel, that ought to be how you feel about our Christian life. Amen? That it is an awesome life. It is an incredible life. It is a full life. It's an abundant life. And you know, as we think even of, of our families and Mother's Day and, and those kind of things, what would our families be like if we weren't children of God? I mean, moms, how good a mom would you be if you weren't a child of God? How much better of a mom are you because you're a Christian? How much better of a father? Of course, not Father's Day today, but all those different kind of things. How much better of a, of a son am I because I'm a Christian? You know, I really want to be a good son to my mom and, and, and keep up with her and all those kind of things. And I'll be calling her a little bit later today. And we sent flowers. Or actually, Chris sent flowers. But uh, we sent flowers earlier uh, in the week. And, uh, you know, I'll call her today. We'll have a great talk. You know, what kind of son, what kind of daughter would you be if you weren't a Christian? I would suggest that you wouldn't be quite as good. 
And so you, you just begin to trick off you know, all the different ways that we are better, our life is better, an abundant life, a full life, and that's what Jesus says that He was uh, uh, coming for. Now, as He starts out in chapter 10 there, He's actually sort of, He's coming off being really annoyed at the Pharisees. Let's look at this in verse 39 of chapter 9 there. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with Him heard Him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus says, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And so then he flows right into into chapter 10 and he says what he wants to say there. And so he's talking about, as he gets going here, this imagery of a sheep pen. And in the context of the the time, this would be like a, a yard that would be protected on the sides by a rock fence. You know, they didn't have barbed wire back then, and that kind of thing. So you would build up this big, tall rock wall, and there would be one gate going in. And Jesus uses this imagery and talking about Him being the shepherd, and He's going to talk about that. We'll actually study that a little bit later in verse 11. He goes on, I am the good shepherd. And He talks about that. And that, that's a whole other lesson that we'll get into that's in the same context of what we're talking about today. But He's, he's, really, he's really peeved at the, the Pharisees. And He makes this contrast between being the shepherd and how the sheep will listen to the shepherd's voice and of course the bad leadership that these people had been uh, giving, the Pharisees had been giving uh, to the people and he makes this broad comparison. Now I've, I've never been on a sheep farm so I don't know these things for uh, you know personal uh, uh, life experiences and those kind of things but I understand from reading about sheep that they understand, they they will react and respond to the main person that takes care of them. That they know the voice of that person who's taking care of them. I can sort of remember that and, and relate to that in my life with my parents growing up. And I bet you got, you guys can too. Isn't it amazing? Oftentimes you're, you're in a big store and, and, and you get lost in all that. You, you can hear your mother yelling for you. You know? Of all the voices, uh, you know, you hear mom. You can pick that out. Now, I remember at athletic events that I'd be at uh, where my parents would be in attendance. Uh, they weren't big screamers. You know, parents sometimes are big screamers and all that. My parents weren't big screamers. Uh, I don't know if my mother ever said anything really. Uh, but uh, I, I, can, I very much remember that I could hear what my dad was saying. There may have been a lot of people in the gymnasium, uh, but uh, I, I could hear uh, what he was saying, and I could pick that out. And it's an interesting thing from our life. Many of you can relate with that. But the sheep will respond to the voice of the shepherd. And if somebody else comes in and starts telling them what to do or where to go and that kind of thing, they're going to run away. They're They're afraid. Because they don't recognize that voice. And Jesus uses this imagery here of the voice. He says in verse, uh, in verse 3, The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. 
Comes on down in, in the uh, end of verse 4 there. He says, And his sheep will follow him because they know his voice. They trust him. And he says, And I'm going to lead them out, and I'm going to lead them to all these good places, and I'm going to take care of them, and they trust me. And this idea of, of, the, uh, of the voice of Jesus is what I really want to talk about here today. But look back in your Old Testament to Psalm 29. I want to show you a passage of Scripture where David talks about the voice of God. And uh, it's, it's an interesting parallel to the idea that we're looking at here with this voice of the shepherd and Jesus saying, hey, I, I'm the shepherd. I'm the gate. You've got to go through me and I'm going to lead you uh, to these uh, great places. Of course, uh, David also talks about that concept in Psalm 23, right? That the, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me to quiet water. He leads me to the green pastures. He takes care of my life. And that imagery is all throughout the Bible. But in Psalm 29... David here, and, and he's actually talking about the idea of going to worship. And he says, Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. And then he sort of he flows right into this discussion here about the voice of God. And in David's, in David's eyes here, in David's mind... And I think this is, it gives us a little bit of an insight into who David was. David was a powerful person. And he thought in powerful terms. Look how he describes the voice of God. Verse 3, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. So he's, he's this imager here of a, a roaring well, a river. And that over the, the sound of it, you can hear the voice of God. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf. Syrian like a, a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in His temple, all cry glory. Man, when David talks about the voice of God and how he feels like God is leading him, he has these powerful images of, of God being heard above the roar of the rapids, God being strong enough to strip a, a forest bare just by speaking. This powerful voice that just encaptured David of, of God speaking to him and God leading him. And I wanted to use this, uh, this idea here, the voice of Jesus to you and me. And I tried to think back to the time when I became a Christian, and, uh, and, and don't laugh here, 1977. That was well before some of you uh, were on the earth. But I try to think back to that time in my life, and you can think back, those of you who are children of God, think back to the time when you were going through the process of becoming a Christian. And what was going on in your mind? What was going on in your heart? What was Jesus saying 
to you? What was the voice of God saying to you? Because for most of us, and, and, uh, and I, I don't know if this is true for all, but for me, I've grown up going to church. My parents, I mean, we went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And I'm telling you, we went every time. And those of you who maybe grew up in a similar situation, you know what I'm talking about. It didn't make any difference what was on television. It didn't make any difference if I had the sniffles. Because you can sniffle at church. This was not a casual, hey, should we go to church today? Kind of a family that I grew up in. But I can tell you, for the most part, it rolled off of me like the proverbial water off of Doug's back. There was no penetration uh, into my heart. I would sit there and daydream. I would time the sermon. (laughs) You're running a little long today. I mean, I, I I was not into it. And I know for some of the teenagers here, that may be where you're at even with me. Hopefully not. Prayerfully not. But it might be that uh, your heart is hard and you're not listening right now. But you know, my junior year in college, my roommate became a Christian. And so he started inviting me to go to the Bible study group. We called it Soul Talk back then. (laughs) It was a hippie thing, you know, and all that. (laughs) Soul Talk. Uh, we, we revised at the Bible talk, you know, in the 1990s or whatever. But uh, we, we brought it on up. But uh, what, what, what hit me then were the same words that I'd heard before, but it never penetrated. It never had an effect on me. Somehow the voice of Jesus, I heard it. Being a junior in college there at Eastern Illinois University. All of a sudden it began to hit my heart the way it never had before. And I've got three different uh, descriptions here that I thought of in my own mind that maybe that you can relate to in your own uh, mind as well. Turn over to uh, Matthew 11. Matthew 11. The first thing here is the voice of compassion. That the voice of Jesus that I heard was the voice of compassion. Because up to that time, it was just rules. Well, you can't do this and you shouldn't do that and you should do this. But all of a sudden now, the voice started being heard by me. In Matthew 11 and verse 28, Jesus says, "...come to Me all you are weary and burdened and I will give you rest." Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I heard the voice of compassion that Jesus actually cared about me. All you who are weary and burdened. You know, the reason many people don't become Christians is because they don't really feel weary and burdened. They're unhappy with many aspects of their life 
but they've never really pieced together that they're weary and burdened, not because of what everybody else has done to them in their life, but they come to the realization, I'm weary and I'm burdened because I have done this to myself. And I don't think that ever really dawned on me in life. You know, when things went right, it was somebody else's fault. It was the teacher's fault. It was the coach's fault. It was somebody else's fault. But I began to realize, it began to dawn on me, no, you know, these are self-inflicted wounds, Martin. You're weary. You're frustrated because of what you've done. And because of the decisions that you have made. And Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened. I thought, wow, I'm a a proper candidate here. (laughs) You know, I I feel weary and burdened. Oh, whatever I would have been right there of my age. Probably 20 years old or something like that. But you know, I made enough bad decisions that I was feeling it. He says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. It was a voice of compassion. Jesus wanted me to come to Him. I've got the answer to your problem, Marty, but you're going to have to come to me. And to me, that that resonated. I thought, okay, Jesus died on the cross for me, and, and what He expects, He expects me to respond, to react, to come to Him. If I'm weary and burdened. The reason I hadn't come to Him is because I wasn't weary and burdened prior to that time. I was proud. I was full of myself. I thought I can fix whatever problems I have in my life. But you come to that time in your life where you realize, I can't fix it. I have messed up. I've sinned. I've done wrong. I knew that. I knew that for years. I didn't care. But all the reason, all all the time going along realizing in my mind, I can do what I want to do. I, I, I can, I, I've got the power. I've got the ability. I've got the intelligence. I, I've got the grit and gut. I can fix it. And you realize sometime the light goes on. You hear the, the, the voice of Jesus and you realize, no, I'm in a mess because I have done wrong. I have rebelled against God. I've rebelled against my parents. I, I have rejected God. I've rejected my parents' teaching. And I have caused it. And Jesus says, yeah, okay, now you got it. Come to me. Come to me. You're weary and burdened. I know you're feeling it. You see, for some people, they never become Christians because they won't admit they're feeling it. They are feeling it. In the quiet recesses of their, of their mind, in, in the moments when they can uh, sit and really think about their life, they're like, you know, I, I know I'm doing wrong but they're still too proud. And Jesus says, you're going to have to come to Me. But it was a voice of compassion that Jesus wanted to have a relationship with Me. It made so much sense to Me, by the way, when He says, take My yoke upon you and learn from Me. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in, in, in some of the other uh, context here. It, it, it made total sense to Me that if Jesus was going to do all that He did for Me, that He was going to expect something from Me. 
that there's going to be a proper response and sense of if, if, if I'm going to follow Jesus, then there's going to be some responsibility on my part. And, and to me, that just made total sense. I was like, well, yeah, okay. If I'm going to be a Christian, then, then I'm going to be expected to live this way and live by these kind of things. But voice of compassion. Secondly, a voice of expectation. That's really what I'm talking about right here a little bit as well. Look over to, to Mark chapter 1. The, uh, the uh, initial calling of discipleship to, uh, to the disciples. Mark chapter 1 verse 16. Uh, Jesus, it says that Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. It made total sense to me that Jesus expected something from me. I, I don't know why. Maybe it was just who I was at that time in my life. But I, it, it didn't scare me. It didn't. I was like, oh no, you mean I've actually got to do something? It made total sense to me that if Jesus was going to die on the cross for me to save my soul, He is going to expect me, therefore, to do something unique and, and different with my life than what I was doing up to that time. And that's what He says to these guys. Come follow me. And I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to expect you to be fishers of men. I'm going to expect you to be different. Now the idea of being different at that time in my life was a bit scary, but a bit, well, I know I need to be different. You see, when, when people understand, I've sinned, I've blown it, Jesus died on the cross for me, He wants me to follow Him, there is an expectation you are going to be different. You don't become a Christian and just continue to do what you were doing before. There should be a radical change in your life. There should be a significant change in your life. It should be noticeable by everybody who knows you very well. What's up with you? You're different. And when people would make those kind of comments to me, it wasn't like, oh, no, no, no. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, did, did I offend you? It was like, yeah, I'm different. I'm a Christian now. I wasn't a Christian before. I'm different. I'm happy about being different. As a matter of fact, you need to be different. When a person really hears the voice of Jesus... They know that they are going to be expected to change their attitude, their actions, oftentimes their expectations of themselves and other people around them. And if someone becomes a Christian and they don't change, you've got to really wonder, did you really get it? I know you, you studied the Bible. I know you read the Bible. But did you really get it? There's a voice of expectation of Jesus. I expect things to be different. Look over to one of the greatest stories about Jesus in John uh, chapter 8. This is the woman caught in adultery, right? And a pretty well-known story, but we'll read it here because it really illustrates this idea that Jesus is the gate. He's the voice that's calling us. We need to follow Him. But He is a voice of expectation. 
In uh, chapter 8, verse 1, uh, book of John. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn He appeared again in the temple courts when the people gathered around Him and He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Now I want you to notice that. Caught in adultery. There doesn't seem to be any doubt about it here. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Whoa! In the act of adultery. So there's no doubt as to whether this woman has done it, right? In the law, Moses commanded to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Of course, we don't know what he wrote. But he did this. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him throw the first stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. People theorized that he was writing in, in the, on the ground, in the sand, their, their sins. Who knows? We don't know. Get to heaven, you can ask Him. Jesus, what were you writing on the ground? <laughs> at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. So the crowd begins to go one at a one at a, uh, you know, it, It's melting away. The crowd's melting away one at a time. The older ones first. Until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. So that literally everybody leaves except Jesus and the woman. And look at this. This is, to me is fascinating. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. See, the voice of Jesus is a voice of expectation. Jesus says, I'm not going to condemn you either. But, (laughs) go now and quit living the way you've been living. There is a clear voice of expectation with Jesus. Jesus expects you and me to live in a certain way. He expects us to have a certain moral code. That we live by. Our world is a mess. It it is unbelievable. Nearly everything the Bible says that we should not do, society is saying, oh, no, 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 that's fine. No, 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 that's okay. No, 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 no. Christians have a moral code that they live by. It doesn't make any difference what everybody else in the school does or says. It doesn't make any difference what everybody in the neighborhood does and says. It doesn't make any difference what everybody on the job does and says. It doesn't make any difference what the LA Times says. It doesn't make any difference what somebody from Harvard wrote. Jesus is it is a voice of expectation. And if you're going to be a child of God, you are going to stand out 
Because of things that you believe are different from what most other people believe. And there may come a time in our, our lifetime, who knows, where it will become more and more and more difficult for God's people to live the way that God expects them to live. But if you're a true Christian, you say, well, it doesn't make any difference what everybody else thinks. It's a voice of expectation. And i got to tell you, for me, at that time in my life, that made total sense. God expects me to live different. I'm up for it. Come on. I don't care what everybody else thinks. Now, maybe that's part of who I am and my personality. It's pretty easy for me to say, I don't care what everybody else thinks. Because I did that for a long time with the church people that wanted me to be a Christian. I don't really care what all you knuckleheads think. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But now I was doing it because I wanted to be a Christian. I wanted to please God. I wanted to live the kind of moral life that God was calling me to live and I didn't care what everybody else in the dorm thought about it. I didn't care what everybody else on campus thought about it. It's a voice of expectation. And funny enough, to me, there was a great draw in that. See, I think sometimes we as Christians are afraid to lay it out. I think we're intimidated by the world around us and we don't want to lay out what are the moral expectations that God expects us to have in life. And we, we sort of pansy around and, 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 and won't lay it out to people because we're afraid that they'll be offended. If they're offended, they're offended. They may very well be offended. But they may also be like me. There may be people out there like me that are actually looking for a moral code to live by. That really want to believe that there are things that are right and things that are wrong in ways that we should live. To me, it was a voice of compassion. It was a voice of expectation. And Jesus' voice, number three here, was a voice of common sense. In Luke 9, verse 24, you know, Luke 9, 23 gets a lot of uh, playtime. We think that, that, that one's great. But 24 ain't bad either. In Luke 9, 23, the great call of discipleship, then He said to them all, if anyone would come after Me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow Me. Look at verse 24. Talk about the voice of common sense. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it? For a man to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit his very self. To me, Jesus... The voice of Jesus was a voice of common sense. What good would it be if you could have whatever you want? House, car, everything in the house, everything in the car. What good would it be if you could have it all? Yet at the end of the day, the cost that it was going to cost you was your soul. 
You see, most of us, including me, we look, I look at things that are nice in the world, and I'm like, man, that, that looks pretty cool to me. You ever drive a car that's a lot nicer car than the one you're driving? A friend of mine one time had a Mercedes Benz, and, and the circumstances were such. He said, well, why don't you drive it here? And so, you know, I got in and I'm driving and I'm thinking, whoa, this, this, is, real, this is really nice. You know, you step, you step on, 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 the, on the, the, the gas, the accelerator, and, and you, don't, you don't have a, a uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, it's like when I step on the accelerator in my car, it's almost like the car says, hey, cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and okay, I'll go a little faster. You're going to make me go faster. But, but you know, and when you step on, 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 on the gas, and it's like the car's been saying, Come on, buddy, I've been waiting for you to do this. I want to show you how I can go. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I mean, you, you touch that thing, and it's like, and, and the sound. Ooh. <laughs> Deep, rich baritone. Oh! I mean, it's awesome. And you know what? Hey, who who wouldn't want to have that? Things that that, that cost a lot of money cost a lot of money in, in most cases because they're, they're actually nice. That's why they cost a lot of money. And, and you know, you get to go for whatever the circumstances. You get to go to a really nice restaurant, and you eat in that restaurant. And you're like, "Well, this was really good. This is nothing like Denny's, man. This is nothing like what I'm used to. This is really good. These people can make bacon taste a lot better. I don't know how can you bacon ought to be bacon, but man, you eat bacon at a really nice restaurant. You're like, "Wow, that's bacon right there, man. I don't know what that stuff is at Denny's." <laughs> It's like it's like paper thin, you know. You go you go home and pick it up and read the menu through it, you know. It's like hey, it's, it's bacon, but it's not much bacon. And man, you get this like man, that's bacon right there, man. That's awesome. And you realize, you know what? It, that that's why it costs a lot more to eat there than it does at the places where I normally eat. You know, you go into someone's home that's a really nice home. You know, like dang, that's a really nice home. I'm, I'm pretty sure that chair right there is, is worth more than you know everything I've got in my house. <laughs> it's a really nice chair. And but Jesus here is the voice. He's the voice of common sense. He said, "Okay, fine. Things in the world are nice." Yes, we are attracted to them. Yes, we do notice that they're better than what I have. But Jesus says, okay, now let's think about this for a minute. Let's use some common sense. What would it be? How long are you going to live? I'm, I'm, I'm 59 years old. How long am I going to live? Let me tell you something, guys. It, it, it ain't looking good for any of you. <laughs> Mortality rate of this room is 100%. None of you are going to make it out of here alive. How many more years do I have? 
Of course, we don't ever know. I better say I, I, I lived, my dad died at 76. How many years I got? 59 to 76. Some of you who are real smart people. What is that? 11? I don't know. 15? 20? 17? I said, I can have the car, the house, all the junk in the house. I can have the restaurant. I can go eat wherever I want, whenever I want. Okay, 17 years, Jesus says, what would it do if you can have all that? But then you're going to face judgment. What good will it be if you can gain the whole world? Now, no one can gain the whole world. But the whole world that you want, the whole world that you would like, what good would it be if you can have all of it? And it costs you your soul. Any idiot would say, bad deal. Bad deal. For 17 years I can have it, and then I'm going to pay for it for eternity. What? Jesus hears the voice of common sense. It's a voice of, hey, let's think this thing through a little bit right here. And see, to me, maybe I'm just a commonsensical kind of guy. But to me, that really hit. I was like, yeah. What good would it be to have all the things that the world says that you can have if you won't live as a Christian? What good would it be if I could actually get all of it? I didn't really think I could get all of it anyway, but if I could get some of it. What good would it be if I could really go that direction and it cost me that? I would say, you're You're stupid. Jesus here, it was a voice of common sense to me. Becoming a Christian was not checking out my brain. To me, becoming a Christian was, was the ultimate expression of using my brain. Maybe for the first time in my life. What is really important? What is really valuable? And you begin to realize, man, there are things that are of so much more value than a car, a chair, a house... A restaurant meal. See, the voice of Jesus to me, I'm, I'm the sheep. Jesus came in and I'm, I'm the sheep there. And Jesus says, come follow me. And, and I'm looking at Jesus and Jesus to me, the voice is the voice of compassion. It's the voice of expectations that are proper and good. It's a voice of common sense. And I'm saying, I'm with Him. Jesus says, I'm the gate. You've got to come through Me. If you come through Me, you're going to be safe. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What is Jesus' vision for your life? It's simply that. All of our lives are going to unfold in different ways depending on a myriad of of, of, of uh, factors that go on in all of our lives. None of our lives are exactly the same life. Your life, my life, it's different. But Jesus looks at every single one of our lives and says, I have come that He, Marty in my case, and in your case, you just fill in your name, I have come so that she, the, uh, with the circumstances of her life, that she can have an abundant, happy, full life. Wow! 
Now Jesus says on the gate, He says, you're going to have to come through me. He's going to continue on, and we're going to study this later in another time, and in this exact same context, He talks about being the good shepherd. And we actually talked about some of those concepts today because they intertwine uh, in this text. But isn't verse 10 just a phenomenal passage? I have come. Here's what I want for you, me. I have come that they may have life and have life abundantly. Have life full. Hopefully our text today and our study today be a good encouragement for you. And go home today and just love life, guys. Love up on mom. Emphasize the positive. Don't get into a fuss today with your sister or brother. I know, I know, I know she's difficult. I know he is the south end of a north going horse. Some of you just catching on that. That went right over the head of the teenagers. None of them got it. Adrian got it. Have a great day living the abundant life. God bless you are dismissed.